the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello there, Stephen Schubert with you on the Country Hour all this week from our Alice Springs studios. Great to have your company this Thursday lunchtime. Well, how have you gone finding fresh produce in your local supermarket lately? Today we'll be asking if Australia's supermarket duopoly is one of the factors behind food shortages across much of Australia. We've just got that slight over-reliance on two supply chain channels via these two stores compared to, let's say, most other developed countries, which may have a few more large players in the market. And with demand still strong from Indonesia, live cattle exporters have had to look further afield to fill orders, with cattle heading all the way from central Australia up to Darwin. As you can imagine, with the wet season, cattle are pretty hard to find. The floodplain's been stripped out up there and most of the other little blocks are boned out of cattle, so they're they're sort of looking for cattle. Uh, Opportunity came along. Uh, I knew we had some cattle tucked away for it, and, uh, yeah, we just took the advantage of of what what was on offer. We'll, of course, bring you the latest weather in the Territory and plenty more coming up on the Country Hour. But first today, I want to tell you about a trial happening out on the Barclay. AACO is trialling the distribution of grasses by what's known as faecal seeding. Legume seeds are being added to wet season supplement on Eva Downs with the hope that the cattle will do the work of spreading them out with a healthy dose of fertiliser to help the plants start life. Dan Chapman is the rangelands manager with AACO. He told Dan Fitzgerald about the trial. So what we're looking at trialling is faecal seeding as a means of distributing an improved pasture legume. And what we've done is we've used high-intensity grazing for more even distribution of cattle grazing pressure and also to create some animal interaction. And we're utilising an improved pasture seed and loose lick. We've got that in, in tubs spread throughout the paddock. So why did you decide to give this faecal seeding a go? So we really wanted to promote that animal interaction and also faecal seeding helps to protect the seed from the elements, which is really important when we're dealing with a variable rainfall environment too. And by being able to utilise that higher grazing pressure, we've created a more even graze, which results in less competition with our native pastures as you get away from waters, which is what typically happens in a set-stocked environment. And it doesn't matter that the seed isn't being buried in the soil? No. So with the uh, protection that the, the cow paddle provide, we're hoping that we'll still get really good germination off the back of that. And it gets its own little bit of fertiliser on the way out. Exactly right, mate. Tell us about the pasture that you're using. So we're working with a company called Agrimix using their product called Progardis. And this is a mix of Desmanthus cultivars. We've gone with a legume just to sort of complement the existing good body of native grass pastures that we have on the Barclay. And we've gone with a legume just because of its high crude protein and we've got the additional nitrogen-fixing benefits of having a legume in there. And we've, Progardia specifically is, is, is a great one because it, it's, a, it's a hard seed which we can purchase unscarified so it can travel through the animal without germination. What sort of scale is this trial being run over? 
Yeah, so we're conducting this trial in one of our R&D paddocks. It's about 1,200 hectares, and we've got, we had 575 head in that paddock, which works out just under 50 animals per square kilometre, so they're in there for just under six weeks, and the seed was put out at a rate of two kilos per hectare. Just how labour-intensive and, and cost-effective is this fecal seeding? Uh, so, Dan, that's probably one of the things that we, we need to work out is that that is one of the drawbacks that we came across is it is a fairly labour-intensive process as the we need to mix the seed and loose lick every three or four days to prevent the um, loose lick from causing urea burn to the seed. Okay, so there's a bit of work involved. Yeah, that's right. We'd, we'd, we'd probably look at a different mix of loose lick next time around, I think. We're early on in the trial and in the wet season, hopefully. Um, what sort of results have you seen so far? Um, to be honest, Dan, access has been a bit of an issue getting out to the, the paddocks that we want to get to. So I can't, I, I can't tell you what's happened in the last couple of weeks, but results early on look very promising with the early rain we had. If this trial is a success, uh, will you give it a go elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely, mate. So at the moment, we just we, we just need to wait until the end of the wet season, and then we've got a, a fair few metrics that will that will look at measuring to assess the, the the success of the trial. And off the back of that, I, I guess it's important to note that as a company, we're trialing a range of different methods of low disturbance establishment. Um, and, and a range of species across our northern properties. So off, off the back of that, we can probably start to make some decisions about where, where we would implement something like this. Are any other cattle companies or, or producers giving this fecal seeding a go? Is, how common is it? So it's fairly, it's fairly commonly utilised in central Queensland, as far as I'm aware. And with Pregardi specifically, I'm not aware of anyone that's done any trials this far north to date. Rangelands manager with AA Code Dan Chapman. Interesting idea. We'll be we'll, we 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 will bring you the results of any uh, data that AACO are able to get out of that. It sounds like a pretty straightforward, logical idea, but hopefully they can work out how to make it a little bit more efficient in getting it all happening. You're listening to the Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. It is uh, tw- it is. Uh, 23 minutes to one o'clock. I need an extra hit of coffee today, clearly. Well, let's stay out on the Barclay Tableland where there has been a little bit of rain falling in the last 24 hours or so. Warramunga has had 21 mils of rain. Brunette Down Station has recorded 15 mils and there were six mils in the gauge at Tennant Creek Airport. Pete Balmain manages Avon Downs, which is right on the Barclay Highway, and neighbouring Austral Downs, which is on the Queensland border. I spoke to him this morning. So we've had about half an inch or 14 mils in the new currency and up to um, yeah, 30 mils uh, recorded across the property. How long has it been since you've last seen any rain at all? Uh, so our last rain was very early December, uh, late November. So it's yeah, certainly been a long hot eight weeks or six weeks um yeah between between drinks right and i imagine your feed has been cooking in some pretty sweltering barkley temperatures over christmas as well yeah well with the early rain we did get it um have a twofold effect um in that we did get some good growth early in the season 
um, but at the same time all our feed reserves, um, anyone that had any dry grass reserves spoiled those at the same time so we were looking at um, good quality grass but just not much of it um, due to a very short growing season. Has this been a disappointing wet season f- for you? Um, well, it's not over yet. Uh, by a long shot uh, in our country, especially, we can still get meaningful rain from here through February. Uh, though, yeah, there were a lot of people getting very excited after the great start we had and after a few tough years. A lot of people looking forward to an above-average season or, yeah, a spectacular season, so... Certainly a bit of disappointment that it hasn't come to fruition, but um, yeah, there's still hope yet, and um, we can still resurrect a, a good season from any rain going forward. What does this mean for your program for the start of the year? Uh, are you sort of stuck around the homestead for a while? Um, yeah, well, there's always lots to do. Um, yeah, it'll mean we can start planning hopefully for an average season and for a normal work program as opposed to plans we were making recently to um, make early management decisions. Um, Certainly I know people around the district that have already had to pull the trigger on um, early weaning of um, cattle and that due due to low bodies of grass. Right, that's not a sign that things are going well. Uh, Yeah, well after a couple of tough seasons we were looking forward to a to a good change and a good season ahead, but um, you can only manage on what you have to deal with. And the cattle that you can see from where you are, how are they looking? Uh, certainly the cattle in our little area of the Barclay are doing well still. Um, we're looking at probably fairly high weaning percentages from an early start in the season. Um, and yeah, the cattle we have on our place um, yeah, look actually very well at the moment. Um, it's just forecasting ahead for the season ahead and um, grass bodies that we're hopefully going to catch or hopefully are going to carry us through the year were looking very depleted. Pete Balmain from Avon and Austral Downs. You're listening to the Country Hour. After Keith Urban, we'll be talking about supply chains and supermarket shelves. Keith Urban on the Country Hour. You're tuned to ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory with me, Stephen Schubert. It's 16 minutes to one o'clock. A business expert says bare supermarket shelves and crippled supply chains underscore the problem with Australia's grocery industry duopoly. Coles and Woolies control 66% of the grocery retail market, so is it time to break that up? Macquarie Business School's Prashan Karuna-Rakna says concentrated ownership of Australia's grocery market is exacerbating disruptions caused by the Omicron variant of COVID-19. I guess Australia, like most parts of the world, is relying on a supply chain to deliver groceries such as fresh fresh food uh, from farmers right down to the grocery store down the road. But I guess what's different when it comes to Australia is the market dominance of Woolworths and Coles, which control just under two-thirds, 66% of our grocery market. So we've just got that slight over-reliance on two supply chain channels via these two stores 
compared to, let's say, most other developed countries, which may have a few more large players in the market. So the usual supply chain issues during some sort of crisis, whether it's a pandemic or otherwise, but a little bit more pronounced in Australia's case because we are have we, we have a more concentrated market structure in this grocery chain space. Logistically, what are, what are some of the consequences of having a duopoly in this, this, this market, in this grocery supply chain? Well, both Coles and Woolworths are trying to exploit economies of scale. So they want to have uh, reliance on distribution chains or manufacturing plants where they will, let's say, take milk all the way from a few different farmers right down to a single manufacturing plant for the local area. And Australia being a large geographic, uh, large country geographically speaking, we uh, transport these products longer distances on average compared to our nearest competitors. So, for example, the milk industry quotes that um, Australian milk would travel roughly twice as far compared to New Zealand. Now, yes, New Zealand is smaller, but um, we've got a larger population as well, and we are relying on Coles and Woolworths exploiting the economies of scale in market in the supply chain. So they're having over-reliance on central facilities, then therefore uh, we have less of them in Australia, and therefore any disruption uh, causes a larger proportional disruption to the grocery supply in Australia. I would say it's it's added an extra complication, which which countries like us may not necessarily have had as much. So my takeaway is uh, we've got the usual supply chain issues when there's a pandemic or any crisis, but the fact that uh, we have these two large players uh, and the contracts that they negotiate with uh, various farmers or various uh, producers of products and plants and manufacturing facilities that they uh, sign on to and the economies of scale they're trying to exploit by having larger plants in fewer parts of the country has exacerbated it, yes. How can Australia fix this? <laughs> There's no uh, short-term uh, solution to this, uh, John. Um, because this is a structural issue. Um, we uh, have this oligopolistic um, grocery market structure. We even have evidence of oligopolies when it comes to packaging as well. Uh, you may recall the ACCC um, successfully finding that VZ and um, I think it was Amcor. Uh, had uh, colluded in the packaging space and there was damages granted to, uh, if I'm correct, $95 million in a lawsuit uh, for customers who were impacted by that cartel activity. So we've got uh, concentrated market structures at the retail end. We've got concentrated market structures in the packaging space. Uh, we also have a very small manufacturing sector in Australia's Manufacturing is only 6% of our economy, so any manufacturing is reliant on imports. So given a small manufacturing sector, given uh, a cartel, sorry, I shouldn't say cartel, given a small manufacturing sector, given a concentrated market structure in the packaging industry, given a concentrated market structure in the grocery industry, these are systemic structural issues that will take long-term microeconomic reform to address where the government can 
uh, create incentives for smaller players, the local IGAs, the farmers collectives to um, to have a bigger presence and consumer awareness. Cheap for consumers in the short term to go to their local Coles or Woolworths, but perhaps it's not beneficial to Australia as a whole in the long term if we are reliant on these concentrated supply chains which don't deliver when such shocks hit. Macquarie Business School's Prashan Karuna Rakna speaking to John Daly. And if you want to read more on that story, just head along to the ABC News website. G'day, I'm Lisa Pepper and I'm in here at Darwin Port where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the Greyman Express for live export. And thanks for listening to the Country Hour. Thank you indeed. My name's Stephen Schubert, sitting in the Country Hour studio this week and next week. I'm in Alice Springs, where the sun is coming in and out from behind a little bit of cloud. We'll get the latest from the Weather Bureau after the one o'clock news. Nine minutes to one, the citrus industry has launched a new five-year project designed to protect the industry against biosecurity threats. Citrus Watch is funded by Hort Innovation and will be supported by the NT Department of Industry. Sarah Corcoran from Plant Health Australia explains. So Plant Health Australia coordinates biosecurity partnerships and in this case we're creating a robust national surveillance system that supports early detection of exotic citrus pests and that is through a program called Citrus Watch. And it's a a five-year program and it has co-investment from uh, the Hort Innovation Group, so the research and development levies that are paid by industry to Hort Innovation as well as the Plant Health Australia Biosecurity Levy that they pay into and contributions from the Australian Government. And our partners are the Northern Territory Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade and a research group called CESAR Australia. And they're all going to be providing uh, more work around surveillance, communication and research support for the Citrus Watch program. So what sort of pests and diseases will this program be focusing on? So there's a a number of priority exotic pests and diseases and the industry's been very strongly engaged in biosecurity for some time and it's a key area of investment for them. And those pests and diseases include things like Huanglong Bing, which is also known as citrus greening, and it's psyllid vectors. So it's vectored by a a small sap-sucking insect. Other diseases such as citrus canker, which uh, the Northern Territory has some experience with and... um, a really positive experience with in terms of eradication and another thing called citrus variegated chlorosis. So there's there's a couple of examples of the high priority pests that they're looking for and the project's also going to be preparing uh, lists of host species, so the plants that may host these high priority pests for citrus, as well as looking at some of our native psyllids and trying to work out whether or not they have a potential to vector that disease that I mentioned first, Huanglong Bing or citrus greening, because Australia has a number of native psyllid species. So, um, yeah, it's really important to, to do that research to understand whether or not they're capable of vectoring the disease should it ever uh, arrive here in Australia. And what sort of new surveillance might be put in place to try and uh, watch out for these pests and diseases? So the surveillance activities, they're a combination of activities for detecting 
different things because, you know, some of them are insects, some of them are diseases. And in, ca in the case of the insect vectors that we would be looking for, um, such as citrus psyllid, then that will be through deploying sticky traps. And there'll be approximately 200 of those distributed across the north of Australia. And they'll be monitored regularly by um, people that work in the department, NT department, uh, and to keep an eye on those. Other methods, well, um, there'll be certainly improved communications around what citrus pests are a threat. And the key thing about this project is that the project partners will be working in very closely with the urban community. So, uh, again, you know, um, people have a lot of different fruit trees in their backyards, um, potentially could host diseases that would be devastating to our agricultural industry. So it's really key that we ask for support from the community to keep an eye out for those sort of things and report them if, if they have any concerns. But yes, improving our, our communications around what that looks like. The, there'll also be an updated biosecurity plan that, for the citrus industry that will identify the high-priority pests and prioritise what activities are needed to prepare for those. Um, certainly improved biosecurity awareness amongst our citrus producers as well will be a, a, a strong theme and aim of and outcome of the project and certainly preparing people for a uh, incursion and any resulting response that may be required because that's a really key thing. So uh, there's potential there for um, exercising to understand what an incursion of one of those diseases might look like and, and how we would respond. Sarah Corcoran, CEO of Plant Health Australia, speaking to Dan Fitzgerald. ABC Sport. Grandstand Summer of Cricket continues on the ABC Listen app. Catch all the action of the Women's Ashes series. Struck on the pad out, LBW! And all the excitement from the men's series against Sri Lanka. He gets the edge, caught it, second slip. He launches him this time, pokes him all the way out of the ground. Grandstand Summer of Cricket, live and ad-free on the ABC Listen app. Uh, very disappointing to hear that the New Zealand One Day International Series has been cancelled due to the COVID situation, but looking forward to that Women's Ashes Series starting soon. The National Farmers Federation is trying to encourage young people to take their gap year on a farm. Ag Career Start is a program that aims to connect school leavers or people under 25 to a farm job for 10 months. And there are benefits for farmers to get involved, with a $2,000 grant for participating. Charlie Thomas from the NFF explains. So Ag Career Start is a structured gap year program. It's designed to give Australians from um, all walks of life, particularly those who might not have otherwise considered a career in agriculture, a taste of farming and a taste of rural life and an opportunity to learn all of the things that working in ag and uh, working in regional Australia can offer. So we're looking for people at the age between age between 18 and 25 who are just starting out in their careers and are still making decisions about where they want to focus their careers. Um, so they might be people who have recently finished school. They might be people who are currently undertaking some tertiary study and want to try, a, a, you know, practical work placement to understand whether this is something that would be suited to them long term. Or it might be people who have just finished some further tertiary training, wanting their first job in the industry. 
international borders are starting to reopen. People can go back overseas. Uh, what's your pitch for why young people should go take their gap year on a farm and not go backpacking? Well, I think you've got the rest of your life to go and you know see the, the Mediterranean or whatever piques your interest. But this is really an opportunity while you're young to, to get out and have a truly Australian adventure. And obviously, you know, with the uncertainty around borders and, and where COVID might go in the coming 12 months, it's there's never been a better time to consider that year as, a, as an option. And I think it just offers so much, you know, the, the unique landscapes of regional Australia, the, the fantastic and, you know, reward work that's on offer in agriculture, you know, coupled with the, a program like this that enables you to do that in a safe way, in a controlled way, you know, working in placements on Australian farms, sure that they're best practice employers that are going to provide that great experience that we know people are after. And what incentives are there for farmers to get involved? So for farmers, the main incentive is the opportunity to give back and, you know, reinvest in their industry. We're hoping that it'll be a, a really rewarding experience to be able to show a young person the ropes in agriculture and demonstrate all the great attributes of our industry. Uh, there is also a, a financial incentive. So each farmer will receive a grant of $2,000 in order to cover some of those initial training and onboarding requirements that are part of the program and part of you know the, the commencement of any new starter. But really, we're hoping that it's seen not so much as a financial transaction, but an opportunity to invest back in, into young people and into the future of the industry. Charlie Thomas, General Manager of Corporate Affairs at the National Farmers Federation, speaking to Dan Fitzgerald. Hi, my name's Philomena. I'm from Acacia Hills Mango Farm and you're listening to The Country Hour. With me, Stephen Schubert, in Alice Springs all this week and next week as well. Almost time to head to the newsroom. But after that, we will, of course, get the latest from the Weather Bureau. And you might remember we heard yesterday that live export cattle from Darwin to Indonesia are getting five bucks a kilo. And that is tempting some central Australian cattle producers to send a few decks up to the port of Darwin there. It's a long trip, but clearly worth it. We'll have all the details for you after the one o'clock news. Hey guys, I'm Billy. I'm a trap fisherman here in the Northern Territory and uh, we're today unloading our catch uh, from the last two weeks fishing out in the Kimberleys and you're listening to the Country Hour. Hello, my name's Stephen Schubert. Thank you for your company on this Thursday lunchtime. Coming up for half past one, we'll be hearing from a cattle producer right here in Central Australia who's been sending a few decks up to Darwin, 1,500 k's up the track, live export prices out of the port of Darwin to Indonesia, uh, getting uh, high enough to make that a tempting offer for Centralian cattle producers. And also, have you seen videos doing the rounds on social media of people on farms doing risky and pretty unsafe things? We'll have a chat from one organisation that's increasingly worried about what it's seeing online. What are we as an industry doing wrong? You wouldn't, I don't think you would see that from employees of Rio Tinto. I don't think the mining industry would tolerate that. All of that and more coming up on the Country Hour.
Let's find out what's happening weather-wise around the Territory. Rebecca Patrick is at the Bureau of Meteorology for us today. Hello, Rebecca. Good afternoon, Steve. Now, just having a look on the radar, it looks like there's some rain around the Tiwi Islands and not much else happening around the Territory right now. Is that right? Um, oh, there's a bit more, um, so that's probably the case for the top end, but there is um, some storms around the Gulf Carpentaria, um, around MacArthur River, Boralula at the moment as well. And we have just issued a severe thunderstorm warning for some storms that are uh, just over the very far south of the Barclay District, um, just uh, southeast of Barrow Creek at the moment um, but yeah that's an area that has potential for for more severe storms this afternoon with potentially dropping a bit of rain um, because they're quite slow moving storms. And so I'm just looking at the map now stretching down to Javois Station, Altunga, Tea Tree and almost to Alice Springs not quite to Alice Springs and pushing into the Simpson District as well? Yeah that's right so at this stage um, Alice Springs is probably a bit far south, but um, yeah, looking like that area sort of near the Simpson and Barclay uh, border areas, that's um, probably the highest likelihood for for some um, slow-moving storms today. What do you think uh, might be in that for people if they're lucky enough to have a paddock under one of those storms? Yeah, um, it's a bit hard to say because um, just looking at what rainfall we've had um, over the last 24 hours, um, we only were receiving records of, you know, about 15 millimetres here and there to 9am this morning. Um, But looking at satellite, um, there looked like there was probably some higher rainfall um, further east, sort of in the eastern parts of the Barclay um, from storms this morning. So, yeah, probably a bit higher than that. Well, we heard earlier in the country hour that there was 30 mils at Austral Downs just uh, on the right on the Queensland border. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah, um, okay. yeah 30, 40 possible. And um, what are looking forward? What can we expect uh, Friday going into the weekend? Yeah, so we've... Uh, keeping an eye on that um, that trough that is causing a bit of a shower and storm activity through those central and southern districts. So tomorrow um, that's still going to be through the Barclay but um, possibly extending down to the Simpson district as well. So um, could see some um, re- uh, reinforced uh, shower and storm activity through those areas and then the trough is moving a bit further south over the weekend. Um, so moving back over Alice Springs and um, into the Lassiter District. So we could see some higher rainfalls uh, with that um, also uh, bringing a bit of a cloud band through. So, um, yeah, some reasonable rainfall, probably 20 to 40 millimetres um, through those areas each day on the weekend. Is it too early to say... Uh, anything about the likelihood of a tropical low forming in that new monsoon trough? Yeah, the the trough does look like it's trying to form through the Arafura Sea at the moment. So we are keeping a close eye on that area. Um, and there is potential for a low to develop within the, the Timor Sea. Um, but that is expected to move um, south 
and and west away from the territory so probably not a big issue for the NT Um, but what that will do is um, potentially bring that monsoon trough down over the top end over the weekend so um, yeah return to a bit more showery activity um, again um, across the weekend. All right well A good weekend for some if you're lucky enough to get under that rain. Anything else we should know about? Uh, That's the main things. Just keep an eye out for those those warnings. Yep, will do. Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, Steve. That is Rebecca Patrick at the Bureau of Meteorology. Hello, my name is President Mary Ellen and... I'm from Samoa. I'm lo- I love mangoes. I love picking mangoes. I love to work here in Australia. You listen to uh, Gentry Hour. My name's Stephen Schubert, bringing you the Country Hour from Alice Springs this week. As we heard earlier in the week, live export prices are again smashing records, with some quotes out for $5.15 per kilo feeder steers to Indonesia. With top-end cattle in short supply during the wet season, exporters are having to look further afield, including Central Australia. Alice Springs Livestock Agent Steve Gaff told Hugo Rickard-Bell he's locked in six decks of red centre cattle to head north to Darwin. An opportunity came up, uh, one of the live exporters, or all the live exporters in the north are all chasing cattle pretty well. As you can imagine, with the wet season, cattle are pretty hard to find. The floodplain's been stripped out up there and most of the other little blocks are boned out of cattle, so they're, they're sort of looking for cattle. Uh, opportunity came along. Uh, I knew we had some cattle tucked away for it and, uh, yeah, we just took the advantage of, of what was what was on offer. How unusual are um, Central Australian cattle heading up to the boats? For this particular job, a little bit it's a little bit left field, purely around the fact that they've got to be a straighter Brahmin not a lot of straight Brahmins in the in the area. There's a couple of people who've got Brahmins and, and have Brahmin cross cattle and Brahmins that can fit into it, but um, so they've got to have a lot more content to them. We've been seeing record prices in the live export industry uh, recently. Uh, how much were you able to ask? Yeah, we got we got north of five bucks, mate. Um, won't go into specifics on it, but it was a, it was a pretty pretty good uh, pretty good arrangement. Um, the exporter I've done a fair bit with over the years, sent a lot of uh, Mickeys away with him, so I know him and trust him. He knows me, so it was uh, it was yeah quite quite a quite a good offer. They and then they came out too with us looking for cattle. What's the demand like at the moment, mate? Uh, <laughs> if you had a paddock full of Brahmin steers, you could nearly you know yeah the demand is is super high. The supply is super low, um, and that'll be the trend until everybody opens up. You know, the seasons get going and people get into it again late March, if you remember, April, May or June, you know, depends when everybody gets into their first round and, and on the wet season. Where are these cattle heading? They'll all go to um, Indonesia, into a feedlot over there. The company that we've sold them to has some pretty good orders in, in, in Indo as well as Vietnam, but th- these particular cattle are going to Indonesia. How many cattle from Central Australia are heading north at the moment? Mate, when the Vietnam boats are running and, and there's a few bullocks around, you can, um, you can often, often see a fair few cattle go north and they've got, to be, uh, they've got to be red cattle with clean coats, which is a lot of them around here, the Drought Master, Santa Cross and so forth cattle around. So, you know, at times, at times you, you can nearly fill a, 
you know, an Indo- uh, sorry, a Vietnamese order with cattle if you've got the right money and, and everything goes. There's plenty of very good cattle in Central Australia that go that way. Do you think with prices like this, and I guess uh, now that we've seen the Coonoffs uh, send cattle that way on the boats to Indo, do you think more people in Central Australia might might look towards those markets? Mate, it's it's a bit breed specific. Uh, those that have got the right sort of cattle would certainly look at it. And again, like I said earlier, you just got to weigh your options up as to whether you're better off to go east into a into a feeder market or into a, a scenario in east in the eastern states where they can go in onto grass or or over there. So you just got to weigh the options, but there's not a lot of straighter Brahmin cattle, like I said, in Central Australia. Probably more straighter Brahmins in the New England than what there are in Central Australia at the moment. They seem to swallow up a lot of Brahmin cattle last year, so it's a breed specific thing, mate. Alice Springs Livestock Agent Steve Gaff. The cattle came from the Kunoth family of Waite River, about three hours northeast of Alice Springs up the Sandover. Dennis Kunoth says he took a risk buying Brahmin steers last year, but it's great to see it pay off. We bought some steers last year, um, you know, good quality um, Brahmin steers. And I guess, you know, for Brahmin, the, the, the ideal way to go is, is, is export um, versus, you know, the domestic market. So, um, we were told by our agent when we bought those that prices and that will will be fairly good come the new year and that and I guess everybody's playing by that so uh, we kept that in mind and when uh, we were approached we said yeah well those steers have grown out to the ideal weight that they're, that they're looking for and um, and been just a little bit too dry I guess it you know, for us, it would have been good to get rid, rid of those uh, steers because the specs were, were, were there. Um, here you go. What's that like for you as a producer to see that sort of money come in? Well, you can't go wrong with that, really. Eh? I mean, I mean, we all know and hear that you know the prices are going to be pretty good into the future, but for us been sort of new in the industry and that we sort of tend to be a bit jittery and jump at anything I guess it's not a good good thing in a way but with those sort of prices we want to we want to sort of um, take what's you know what we consider is, is, is really good. Dennis Kunoth of Waite River Station and if you jump online and search for ABC Rural you can read more on that story. Coming up next on the Country Hour, we're talking farm safety and social media. 17 minutes past one. It's 22 minutes past one. You're listening to the Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. If you're on social media, you'll likely know that farming content is booming. The rapid growth of platforms like Instagram and TikTok has opened the door for a non-farming audience to get a better understanding of agriculture. But like with anything, people can take it a bit too far. And videos of young farmers doing some pretty risky things have become alarmingly common. Tasmanian farmer Felicity Richards is the new chair of Farm Safe Australia. Reporter Luke Radford caught up with her to chat about the videos and what she's hoping to achieve in her new role. 
my hope in being chair of Farm Safe Australia is that other people will see that there's not many people starting from a perfect <laughs> from a perfect track record. I certainly can't hold myself up and say that we're at, that our business is a perfect farming business with great OHS practices from top to bottom. So I guess I want to encourage everyone to get on board and start making the small changes that'll eventually lead to all of us having, you know, more professional, safer work environments that attract more staff, make everyone feel safer and healthier at work and overall reflect better what our what a great industry we have in agriculture. I know that it's difficult to try and figure out, I suppose, what the the secret ingredient is that we're all after or the, the silver bullet. But is communication the key in your mind? I hope so. I think it's, a, I think it, it's our biggest weapon, if you like, against injuries and against fatality because farming is an incredibly diverse industry. So what, say, farming looks like on a cherry farm in Tasmania is going to look a bit different from a cattle station in Northern Territory. One of the things that FarmSafe Australia did was they commissioned interviews with farmers and they interviewed, I think, about 215 farmers to try and understand exactly what what is the thinking, what is it that keeps farmers awake at night, what do they worry about, but also what is their feeling about what's, what's creating the danger in farm. And interestingly, there was a consensus amongst them that complacency is a big problem and I think communication is the way that we can tackle that complacency. Recently there's been a bit of attention turned on some of the exploits that have been shared on social media with regards to some pretty dangerous practices you could say on farm people doing um, some pretty silly things we've seen people you know shooting videos of themselves standing on top of tractors during windrowing or harvest or the like or jumping out and running alongside. Do you think that you've got to play a role to counteract that at the moment? And how do you feel seeing that content being shared? I think it's pretty devastating. I guess in some ways <laughs> it, it shows us really clearly that there's a really important role for organisations such as Farm Safe Australia to play in calling that behaviour out and saying, what are we as an industry doing wrong? You wouldn't, I don't think you would see that from employees of Rio Tinto. I don't think the mining industry would tolerate that. So my question to ask myself and all other farmers is why do we think that our industry does things like that? Because that's that's to me that's really sad and really distressing and i have seen yeah i've seen some of the tiktok and stuff like that and i wonder in part if it's because sometimes you you know you've got adrenaline filled young people who are doing long hours and potentially they might be a bit you know a bit lonely a bit bored this is completely hypothesizing on my part so how can we help them to tolerate that work environment which can also be really satisfying getting those jobs done but how can we get them through those long days without the need to resort to really adrenaline fueled behavior that's incredibly dangerous for them and and unacceptable for their employers and their family and friends it's just not it's not okay but i guess we have to think about why are they doing it and what do we need to do to stop that from happening? And it's a big it's a big question and I don't think it's one we're going to be able to answer straight away. Is it a challenge of culture? Yes, I think it probably is. I think farming, we do have a culture of, of getting on with it. I don't think we have a culture of that kind of crazy, reckless behaviour. 
I think where I've seen a culture in farming, I'd suggest it was more that we develop habits, ways of doing things that we might have seen our parents doing and our grandparents doing. And we think, yep, it's been done that way for the last 50 years. Why on earth would I change it? And we don't move with the times. I don't think we have a habit of, yeah, I think one of them was eating lunch on top of a running harvester, that kind of thing, I'm glad to say. But you're probably right that maybe that is something we need to look at. We don't want that to become our culture, so we need to address it fast. Also, we need this... to get oh, sorry, counter messages out there. No, sorry, I just I was just <laughs> thinking. Right. You know, we need to get counter messages out there that says, "Look, you can show everyone how amazing and awesome you are using these big machinery, this kind of machinery, without showing yourself doing something really reckless." Obviously, farming is a hard industry. It's not easy work by any stretch of the imagination. On the topic of culture, do you think that there is a culture at the moment, and whether or not sort of this is an issue, of of pushing ourselves, sort of trying to break through the barrier all the time? I think there can be. I think there's some great work that's been done by Farm Safe Australia on things like fatigue, taking regular breaks, recognising the need to stop and rest and analyse whether we're actually fit to continue with the job in the particular circumstances. Are you stopping and taking regular breaks? Are you eating, having something to drink? Are you making sure that you're not just pushing through at the expense of your own safety? And I think we do need to remind ourselves that it's very easy to think, you know, I've got to get this crop off in this time or I've just got to get these stock through the yards and back to the paddock. And, you know, you can be so focused on getting the job done. You can forget that that will come at a terrible cost if it's not done carefully. New Chair of FarmSafe Australia, Felicity Richards, speaking there with Luke Radford. Well, that is about all we have time for on the Country Hour today. Just a reminder before I leave you that there is a severe thunderstorm warning for damaging winds and heavy rainfall for people in parts of the Barclay, Simpson and Tanami districts. Severe thunderstorms are likely to produce damaging winds and heavy rainfall that may lead to flash flooding in the warning area for over the next several hours. Locations which may be affected include Alikarang, Altanga, Tea Tree, Javois, Barrow Creek and Umbladawich. Well, that is it for the Country Hour today. My name's Stephen Schubert. I will be back with you tomorrow to round out the week here at the Country Hour. Coming all this week from our Alice Springs studios and next week as well. I look forward to your company then. We'll bring you more rural news from across the Territory and Australia. Thanks for your company.